Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC, DLC Drop, Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today on the DLC Drop Podcast. One of my best friends and the people I look up to most, Jason Hines, introduced us. I got to know a little bit about your career path, what you're doing now, but I'm super excited to share it with our audience today. Thank you for being here. It's an honor and a pleasure. And, you know, like you just said, if Jason Hines points me in a direction, I go. Same. Uh, <laughs> when, when did you meet Jason? How long have you known that dude? Oh, we did a bunch of work together while he was at Red Bull. So, I mean, that was probably several years ago for, you know, a couple good years there. Yeah. Yeah. Jason, some listeners may know, had an episode here on the podcast. I just love, love that dude, love sharing what he's doing. And he's connected me to so many great people and you're one of them. So uh, why don't you tell, tell us, start off with what you're doing today and then we'll kind of go back through your career and we'll talk about some of our experiences, not necessarily going all the way through that career path, but more what we've learned along the way, which I think will be really interesting for people to take from you. So Okay. What are you doing today? Today. Today. Well, we're trying to run two businesses. One is Battery 621, which is a 30,000 square foot building in Denver. That's a collaborative shared space. We don't really use the word co-work with it, but we have about 20 tenants plus our business uh, within the building. And we've had that for about 11 years. And then we're also running an agency called The Public Works. And um, Public Works is does a mix of creative thinking and then execution, which uh, I think that's probably what sets us apart is that we will take the creative all the way through and whether that be with a multimedia team that we have in-house yeah. or fully designed and fabricated projects, we also do that in-house. So wow. we like to say whether it takes a camera or a blowtorch, we'll get it done. What is the blowtorch guy doing when it's a camera project? Are, are these like multidisciplinary individuals or do you just guys have a, a lot of like kind of all-encompassing projects going on all the time? Well, let's say at the beginning it was just Frank and I. Mm -hmm. And so it was everything. We would go from welding something to then shooting photos of it. And while he might've been leaning more on the design and fabricate part, then when it came to shooting photos, it was me. Then we added another guy we added more people and more people and we really love that our crew is super varied and their skills and their willingness to jump into different things doesn't always mean they necessarily have the skills but sure we'll teach them or throw them in but now as we've gotten a bit bigger our teams are a little bit more um focused on certain aspects so we we have a design fabrication team and then we have a bit of a multimedia multimedia brand building team and it's a bit how frank and i split our roles also with me being more on the the brand and media side of things cool and so who are some of your uh current clients or some of your desired clients the types of uh companies or products or services that you're working with oh let's see here i gotta throw some props out to spider ski apparel we just did a new retainer with them that i think takes us into our 12th year of being on contract with Spider to produce most of their content 
at the beginning, we were also doing team management for them. So uh -huh. mix of services. Uh, we do a ton of work with Thor Industries, not to be mixed up with Thor Motocross. Thor Industries is the largest manufacturer of RVs in the world, owning about 20 brands, including Keystone, Airstream, Jayco. Uh, really, really big, awesome company. Uh, we're doing a bunch with Smartwool, North Face, some financial companies like Empower, uh, we've done Whole Foods work. We just uh, did a, a lot of work with this uh, brand called Quicksilver, which does health and wellness type products. And they just launched a new brand called Aprico, and we helped out with a bunch of that. So nice. it's a wide mix. We're you know we're still heavy in the outdoor industry, but I also feel there's a lot of companies that even if they're not making outdoor product, they're very much in line with that kind of demographic and communication. And then just a wide mix of things all over the place that are really fun. That's cool. It sounds like you're the type of person who really just kind of wh whatever situation you find yourself in, uh, you're a go-getter, you work hard, you show up, you follow through. And it's amazing when you have those attributes where life will take you, right? Yeah. And I think um, persistence to the point of stalking has been very um it's worked well for me uh we with airstream we had some different clients hitting us up to do customized airstream projects uh -huh. and we got a several of those calls in one year so i finally just called airstream and just called the 1-800 number and uh one thing led to another and i stalked airstream for probably years i got i went and visited i met the cmo and I just kept hammering her for years. Like, what about this idea? What about this? Like, can sure. you shoot this? Like, I just did not go away. And eventually we started doing a bunch of work for them. But I think that's, I, yeah. What, what's amazing in business, uh, especially the agency world, but sometimes in the corporate partnership world as well, it can take years, right? It could take four or five years longer for a deal to come through. And I've had experiences where, you know, what was a no yesterday? was a, a yes today based on priorities of the business or, or budget being allocated. And sometimes it's just building that relationship over the years. Uh, in fact, a uh, episode that we just had, I've known this dude for four and a half years, uh, about three years ago, I, I re-met with him and he said, John, our businesses are competitors, <laughs> not partners in any way. And just a couple months ago, our, our businesses announced a, a very integrated partnership. And so uh, what what is it? So persistence, yes, but there's got to be something, whether it's managing the relationship, providing value over time, what has made that persistence result in selling through that, that project or that partnership? I think really trying to understand our customers and what they're trying to accomplish and then even who are their customers so mm. you know we like to say whether we're fabricating or shooting photos or producing videos it's it's all storytelling it's all brand storytelling yeah so the better we can work with a customer to tell their story that's what makes us relevant and you know we're lucky that a lot of our client relationships have been over multiple like many years Right. And so it's just like getting to know a right. person. The more we get to go do stuff together, if we do a piece with Thor, they're really good about also sharing what worked or what didn't, who was watching, like mm. even little things like, Hey, you know, last time we 
we should have just shot things a little bit wider or it's like all those little things that you just keep picking up on over time and you get better and better and better at, you know, being a true partner right, to that client and to the brand, right? Because you need the client to be happy and all that. I think it's like starting the relationships and getting the new client. That's always, that's the hard point, right? Because, yeah. so I think we try really hard to show rather than tell. Like here's actual things we've done. Mm-hmm. I just asked a client if she would join us actually on two new client pitches to help us explain, you know, oh, wow. the work. So take client A that we've been working with for years and invited her and asked her if she would be on a call with us with client B and C. Because when she's speaking to what we've done, it's worth a hundred times me saying it. So I don't know, we, we try really hard, even like looking at our, you know, website or our communications is just trying to be like, this is exactly what we did and for who. Right. And how, because I think a lot of times you go to, you know, some agencies websites and you see a whole bunch of logos they'll say they worked on something, but you're like, what, <laughs> like what work, what did you actually do? Right. Like produce one sticker? Like I have no idea, you know? Well, and, and half the time it was an employee who worked somewhere else who did a, a project for Nike and then they came to your company and now your company is claiming you have Nike experience, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I've seen that happen a bunch of times. Yeah, what, what you're, what you're uh, describing, number one is word of mouth advertising, which is one of the, the more uh, effective forms of advertising, but it's also all about relationships, right? And what, what I'm hearing from you, what I'm getting is, you gave that example of wish we would shot that wider. I think the relationship goes both ways because a client could say, man, screw those guys. They didn't shoot it wide enough. We're going to this other company, right? But there's a, sounds like there's a a level of grace, of willingness, of collaboration to say, you didn't shoot that the way I wanted, but to say, hey, you know, let's work together on a solution. What if we did it this way? That, That tells me that you're building really great relationships with these people. I would like to think so. And yeah, you know, the last year or two were, uh, it was a bit challenging out in the world. Some of you might have <laughs> felt that. Yeah, you might have noticed. But it was amazing to feel the the quality of the relationships that we have, whether it's with our tenants, our crew, or our clients. Everyone came together, you know, and when you feel a client caring about how we're doing and surviving, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's win this whole job and what we do is pretty gratifying, right? That's we're not just in this for a dollar. Like we're trying to do good work and have a good time. Yeah. It's our lives when it comes down to it. Right. And when it comes Mm -hmm. down to it, we're also individuals and we've, we've got a lot more factors that we're dealing with beyond the scope of the most recent project. I want to take you back to the beginning really quick because I I had the opportunity to listen to a podcast that you were on recently and as I was listening to it I I just saw all these similarities between our career paths and I thought man Mike's like a more successful version of me but in snowboarding instead mm, that's of all skateboarding marketing. <laughs> <laughs> you got a few years on me so I'm you know yeah. I haven't given up yet but you know for a lot of listeners know my path became a sponsored skateboarder at age 14 chased the professional skateboarding dream for a number of years and then it I couldn't have told you I couldn't have guessed that I would be hosting a podcast or 
owning a consulting company or, or working with some of the biggest companies in the world, which I'm very grateful to be able to do all those things. And it's, it has definitely not been a straight line. So tell me when you were snowboarding sponsored, sponsored snowboarder, did you see yourself as an, an agency owner or, or this space that you've built as well? No, definitely not. I was only sponsored for a very short amount of time uh, by a small ski and snowboard shop in Connecticut. So that was that was my little stint into that. And then I, I think I found quickly that I liked the business side mm-hmm. of pursuing the industry and really chased that. So I also felt early on that going up to compete just wasn't as much fun as just going up to ride. So I, I think oh. I tried to find... A way that I could keep snowboarding a bit more, like for me and not, and you know, you know what it's like to go through that. I've been a team manager for several different companies. So yeah, I, I've gotten to see through some of these young athletes, like it's a really hard path to follow, right? And it can end abruptly and it can be harsh. I think I was pretty lucky that I chose the business route early on um, so that I can still be doing it at 47 years old. Um, That's right. But I don't think I don't think I could see nearly that far. I think when I was working in a snowboard shop in Connecticut, I started to dream a little bit that I'd want to go work for Burton one day. Mm-hmm. When I finally got to Burton, I think I got to dream a little bit more that, hey, I think I'd like to bring photography a bit more into my life and maybe that's not going to happen at Burton. So what's next? So I think at all those different stages of my life, I was dreaming and trying to look down the road, but there was no way I was looking I could have seen this far down the road. It took a lot of steps to get here. Yeah, I think something that enabled me to do a lot of unique and different things was just an openness that I didn't really have a plan. I didn't have a long-term goal, really, but I had short-term goals, and I was willing to do anything I needed to do to chase that thing. And then through that, like I couldn't point you from Reedley, California to Dallas, Texas, but I could f- point you from, you could see how it could connect from Reedley to Orlando, to San Francisco, to a tour around the country, to Washington, DC, back to California, then to Dallas. And every single one of these was, had something that set me up for the next thing. So did you have some long-term goal that you know you loosely followed or were you kind of like myself in just kind of being open-handed and saying let's see where I go next I think that I always had a entrepreneurial spirit I'm in an entre- a global entrepreneurial group and we always joke that our shirt should just say unemployable because <laughs> yeah there's certain of us that you're kind of probably better off starting your own thing because maybe never going to be the perfect employee, but, sure. but, uh, I think that entrepreneurial spirit, even when I was at Burton, I still felt it. Like I wanted to do the best I could with my job and look bigger and grow that. And, um, so I think that entrepreneurial drive, snowboarding and photography, the love of travel and just being outside. I think those things were all these like kind of power sources in my life. And then you just kind of keep trying to learn more. And while you're learning and working, you're meeting people and things just kind of keep clicking. And all of a sudden something presents that you didn't even know it was a job or an opportunity or a service or something people needed. Right. But it, it, it shows up. 
it's kind of funny you're you know you're so heavy on the e-games thing and i think i mentioned that i have a pinball machine so that's kind of our separation uh yeah but from that i really do love pinball but i've come up with what i call my pinball theory in life which is okay like when you're playing pinball you have a bit of control right like you're kind of controlling the ball but then sometimes what happens is out of your control and if you play the same machine and then you go down the road to some other bar and you play the same machine it's not they're all different right and so i love this part of of pinball where it's like you're semi in control and then Mm -hmm. random things happen out of your control that you have to react to and then you're kind of just into that next move and and i think that's a bit like life you know the next phone call i get could take me in a completely different direction that i would have never guessed at well one of my one of my favorite quotes in life is luck is when preparation meets opportunity and i feel that a lot of times with that statement we focus more about the preparation part of it which is very important it's important that you learn skills you know, that you develop, that you're ready, that you're prepared. But I think just as important is is the opportunity piece of it is recognizing opportunity, recognizing good opportunities, and then having the courage or the willingness to go after it. And I would say in my career path, I definitely could not have gone after more opportunities. <laughs> mm. if, if there was one thing young in life, I just went, you know, I bought that yeah. one-way ticket. I sold my car, <laughs> got rid of my address and went on a six-month long skateboarding tour, you know, Ur- these burn things. the bridges. That's right. Um, <laughs> and then I always say success. If luck is when preparation meets opportunity, success is when luck meets perseverance because mm-hmm. you try and then you find out how hard it is. And in my experience, I think being glass half full helped me because I didn't know how hard some of the things I was about to do would be because I thought it would be great. But once I was in it, I just kept doing it because I wasn't going to give up. Yeah. How is, what is kind of your version of that? How has that manifested in your life? Um, I do think there's a lot to be said for sometimes not knowing what you're getting yourself into is better than knowing because maybe you wouldn't do it right i mean leaving burton for me was a a super hard decision i had an amazing job i mean i was getting paid to travel the world with pro athletes and run summer operations in mount hood i was snowboarding 200 plus days a year surrounded by the best riders in the world and it was a hard decision to decide to leave but i felt like there were other things to go and chase at that point um so, you know, that, that was like a tough one. And I finally just, uh, I just went for it. You know, I think what really hit me was staying would be easier and leaving is scary, but don't let fear make the decision. Right. And it, sure. it took me a while to like really embrace that and make the decision. Now it's easy to look back at and be like, okay, it kind of worked out at first. Um, the next job I took kind of went to shit quickly and I had a re-question, like, did I make a big wow. mistake? Like, am I going to go back begging now or something? But yeah. I think the other one for us was, um, you know, buying this building in Denver. We had never done anything like that. We were still pretty much working out of our houses. And um, and we just finally, like, we went for it. 
you know, and it was probably one of the scariest and hardest things I've ever done. Had I known how hard it was going to be, I don't, I don't know if I would have done it, but I had nothing to even base off. And then once we were committed, well, it's like, well, we got to see this through or I'm going to lose my house and everything. Sure. Cause we rolled everything into pulling this off. Wow. But there's, I, I think there's a lot to be said for just jumping in and then learning how to swim. Right. Yeah. My, I have a short experience in entrepreneurship. My company DLC has been in existence just over one year. Congrats. So thank you. I've had, I've been very blessed with a lot of connections that, you know, people have paid me to do things so that I can, you know, keep paying my bills and things like that. I do feel like I'm, I spread myself out a little bit. I do the podcast, I do consulting, I do business development for a company, etc. And I have a number of clients, but, um, something that I, I've actually really been thinking about this recently is the go all in approach where I, I, I've been told this many times. I've had people on the podcast who have said it. They said, if you're going to do something, go for that one thing. If you try to do multiple things, uh, either you won't be effective in any of them because you're spread too thin, but also there's something about that person. And I think it sounds like you've done this yourself where you put the house on the line. You're like, I am going to do this. Was, was that your experience or was it something else that resulted in you going all in? Um, we're definitely very far from being good at focusing on one thing. Yeah. And that goes from like, even in the level of being a professional photographer, you know, you get a lot of agencies or people that want to be like, well, you're a portrait photographer or you're an action photographer. And sure. I've always hated that. And I feel like at a certain point, if they're going to keep trying to push down that route, then like, fine. Okay. We're not a good fit, Sure. but we, we want to be able to go on a trip with smart wool and shoot some mountain biking during the day and then some lifestyle during the afternoon and some cool portraits and some awesome, uh, product shots. Like, so I, I am kind of like anti pick just one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and the same kind of goes with like, we have an agency, but we're trying to run a building and it's taken bringing some more people in to our team that are, you know, better at us than things. But I think having this diversified portfolio of how we go about doing business that we can work with a client and do a custom fabrication project that leads into a photography project is a little bit of our special sauce. And mm -hmm. if we were only a fab shop or we were only a production company, right? I don't think we'd be where we are today. So I, I think we try to make sure that whatever we take on or say yes to that we feel confident that we are going to really deliver yeah. on value and quality. So I, I think if there's anything, it's that, that like, it's the fear of doing something inferior, you sure. know, we want to make sure we avoid that. That's a healthy fear to have, right? Yeah. It's what I'm getting from you is that you've built a really great and differentiated team. What is it that you've learned through your years in entrepreneurship and building teams that our audience can learn from? I've still got such a long ways to go on this. And I think we're, I think our whole team is trying to do it better together, but I think open communication, we've tried to spend a good amount of time where our team gets to share to each other, what their big goals are. And like, it might be outside of even career. I mean, it could be whatever I want to buy a house or I want to, 
expand these skills or learn graphic design too, but sure. just trying to understand what other people are striving for. And also trying to understand what like people have different, um, sorry, my dog's going a little crazy here. People have different things that drive them. Right. And so we've tried to understand too, does it like work better for someone to be on retainer or project to project or salary? Like, and what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another. So right. it's such an ongoing thing. Recently, we've done some, you know, kind of personality surveying type mm-hmm. testing too. And, you know, when you do a really good one, it's amazing to which answer have, a bunch. Which one have you done? I knew you are going to ask. I can't tell you <laughs> offhand. There's been a couple and it was really cool. One of our clients just had us do it too as like an agency and client kind of Thing. And there were two different yeah. tests, but they really get to the, the same results. It's almost like a, like psychic reading, right? When you fill mm. out, you go through a bunch of multiple co- like questions and you have someone else present back to you like what drives me and like what right. bothers me and what works for me or doesn't. Yeah. And in this one we did, the guy having him go back through and it was like he was in my head speaking for me. And I was like... I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, so... You know, we're trying to, big businesses do a lot more stuff like that. We're trying to continue to find those ways that we operate as a a happy unified team. I had a really interesting experience with one of those, Myers-Briggs specifically. Mm -hmm. So my first office job was at a tax firm. Was amazing. It totally changed my mindset that an office job could be a positive thing. And that encouraged me to go back to school they had all 300 employees take a Myers-Briggs training class. And what was so cool about that was it wasn't just the leadership, it wasn't just the managers understanding the people who reported to them how they're wired, but we learned about every personality type. So you got to know who you were, but I would also know if if I, I'm an ENFP, if you are an ISTP or whatever, I know a little bit about how you're wired. And on all of our uh, our nameplates on our cubicles, we also had our Myers-Briggs. And so when you walked up to talk to somebody about something, you knew exactly how they're incentivized, how they best work, all of these things. And it's pretty cool because rather than demanding somebody kind of cater to you, you're understanding how they work and catering to them. And when everybody does that, it just results in better work and a better team. Yeah. And I mean, could you imagine when you go back and think about some of the people you've worked for or reported to, and if you had seen their results, (laughs) you probably would have had a better feeling of what was coming, right? And whether or not you're a good fit. Yeah. So I feel like we're still learning every day and trying to get better at things. But uh, yeah, we we have an amazing team that works super hard. And a lot of our crew have been with us for quite a long time well i'm sure part of your success is just the the recognition and the understanding that you are still learning and that you you haven't made it in fact i I think the people who think they have i don't know if everybody's really made it outside of maybe elon musk and jeff bezos but uh you stop learning when you think you've made it and that's commendable did you did you have a traditional educational background or did you learn on the job I started working for Burton Snowboards and going to University of Vermont Business School at the same time Mm -hmm. up in Burlington, Vermont. 
So it's interesting for me to look back. I'm not a great student. Like school is hard for me to just sure. stay focused, to read, just sit down and read textbooks or whatever. But so when I look back, I feel like I had a super formal education that was combined between UVM Business School and being at Burton. And it's really hard for me to know which one taught me more. But I think that the two of them happening together, you know, yeah. I could sit in a business class and in my head think about what was going on at Burton. And it just, I was really lucky that I got to take it on that way. It was also cool because by the time I graduated, I it was four years into Burton. And when I left right. Burton after seven years, you know, I was 24 or something, but I had seven years oh, wow. yeah. Burton already on my resume. So I really lucked out that all of that happened and that I pursued it because I think it gave me this huge jump start on my career. And uh, yeah, and Burton, it was the, it was the heyday of snowboarding kind of 93 to 2000. Uh, snowboarding went into the Olympics in 98. Yeah. You know, the industry was just popping and it, it was, it was a really special time to be working for such a great company. And, you know, I, I got to spend time with Jake Burton, not nearly as much as some people, but that guy was my hero from probably the time I was 13 years old. So to just see this world that he had created and like what an entrepreneur and a brand can accomplish. What was that like, you know, having looked up to this guy and then having the opportunity to, to be in the same room and, uh, you know, represent the company that he built. And just so much pride, you know, like showing up to work and just going through that front door. And, you know, I, I bought my first Burton snowboard when I was 12 and I met Jake for the first time when I was 14 at a snowboard camp that he, he came and visited. And so, yeah, to finally to get there when I was 18 years old and, and work and, and just all the people, it, the people there were so amazing. It was, it was a dream, you know, where you just want to like, you're so proud to take your family and show them what's going on and friends and tell them about it. And yeah. people would road trip from hundreds of miles away to come to the factory showroom. And that's where I worked through college. So, wow like not only were you stoked to be there, the people that you were working with were like on a trip to Mecca. Right. And right. I know I drank, I drank the Kool-Aid as much as I could. And yeah, but I'm, I'm fine with that. It was a cool, really cool place to be. And um, yeah, I don't I, It's hard to even sum it up. I Not got to sure. stand next to Jake at the Nagano Olympics and watch the first snowboarder take that run. And, and to hear a lot of Jake's thoughts, like he wasn't like, he had a lot of issues with how snowboarding went into the Olympics and yeah. Was, yeah. I'm curious to hear about that because I'm a skateboarder. Skateboarding was in the Olympics uh, for the first time this year and any core skateboarder was pretty bummed on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say bummed necessarily post, but bummed like pre Olympics. Just the fact that it's a counterculture, you know, skateboarders aren't wishing they were on the football team or on the track they're more than happy to be behind the buildings, jumping off loading docks and down handrails away from everybody else. And so we were all kind of, I was very happy for the pros who got to have that experience because wow, to say, wow, I was an Olympian as a, a skateboarder who would have thought. Snowboarding is a little less countercultural, I would say, a little more mainstream. 
But from the inside, how was that viewed? Uh, well, by Jake and by yourself and the other people that that you were working with uh, being in the Olympics. Well, at that time, I was traveling with the team as essentially mobile kind of tech. I was like the pit crew for the Burton freestyle riders. I wasn't working with any of the Alpine athletes, which was kind of nice. So, I, you know, I was tuning boards and working with athletes for half pipe, slope style, that kind of stuff. So I wasn't nearly as involved with all the politics and how snowboarding went into the Olympics as Jake and like as other people in the marketing department of sure. Burton were. So I was picking up on some of the side, but I think, I think it really came down to, and if you, you know, Terrier boycotted, you know, Terrier from Norway, Norway was, he, everyone would guess that he would go in and win and he boycotted also. And mm. I, I think the biggest issue was that it was FIS is the governing body body, which is really the ski association. Okay which then took over control of the events that were going to lead into the qualifying of the U.S. team. And so it, it was a bit more of just how it was all being figured out and governed of, and, and the politics. And yeah. if you even look at what some of the early apparel sponsors were of sure. the snow, really. So yeah. it's a tough thing. I think I think most people are going to feel that love hate with the Olympics, whether it's surf, skate, snow. Yeah. And but at the same time, those sports wouldn't be where they are now if it hadn't happened. So. <laughs> <laughs> What's your dog's name? <laughs> Actually, his name's Yuki. My son named him. It means snow in Japanese. That's awesome. Uh, what kind of dog he, is Yuki? Uh, he's notice. mostly Belgian Malinois and uh some dutch shepherd he's still a puppy so he's a little bit crazy that's awesome but i mean i think i even looking at x games was lucky to go to some of the early ones through like you know through into aspen and stuff talking winter x games i think what x games did was they really proved that they were trying to make the best possible events take care of the athletes it was they're constantly improving i think they were listening to the athletes mm-hmm I don't, I think the Olympics is trying to do that. It's just a different animal, right? Yeah, so, way different. How did, how were you personally affected by snowboarding being in the Olympics with the, the rise in popularity? The reason I ask is I, I know just as an observer, you know, Sean White saying, when I was on the, the mountain before the Olympics, people knew me, right? But I was anonymous in society anywhere else after the olympics i couldn't go anywhere without being recognized (laughs) now he's got that bright red hair which which sticks out as well but did that affect you burton the the level of what you were doing or the way people saw you i think nagano was still pretty early and then i left before the next olympics I think by Salt Lake City, especially with the U.S. men's halfpipe riders swept, uh-huh. I, I think that was a much bigger. I think the world felt it more at that point. Okay. Um, the snowboard presence. I think Nagano was still kind of. Yeah, it was earlier on in what was going on. So I don't. I don't think it changed me much. I mean, I Ross Powers is one of my really good friends. I tuned his board when he <clears throat> got the bronze medal at nagano and then he went on to get the gold medal in salt lake city 
I think Ross can probably still walk around a lot of places and people don't know him maybe quite as much as Sean, but he's also just this kind of low key Vermont guy. Right. So, yeah. And he got to do beyond, you know, late night TV and all the amazing things that happen when you're, uh, you know, an Olympic medalist. Right. But, uh, I think Sean, Sean's an anomaly, right. I've, I've also heard that he's, you know, in the top five most recognized male athletes in the world. So that's so far beyond snowboard yeah. and skate. Um, but he he helped to elevate the sport and everything to have that level, right? Of course. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to get into a little bit here because uh, you know you have this. Ex- we we actually uh, we both have these experiences, which I think is cool. Is being part of big companies, and then being part of starting small brands. I'm at the very beginning of yours. You've been doing yours for a while, but what what I recognized is in a big company, I always found myself kind of hitting the guardrails around like what I should be focusing on because I've got a pretty creative mind and I'm like, oh, you guys have to see this opportunity and, you know, vision is kind of more my strength. There's people in these big organizations, doesn't make me any better, but they're, they just have different skill sets of like, yeah, I'm great with the spreadsheet and following through and those consistent steps and staying within this uh, system. And then you have people who aren't as great at staying in the system, but may be great either creating something new or doing something more entrepreneurial. What has been your experience, big brand, big company versus your own brand? Well, so I've never worked for a really big company. Burton was probably the biggest company I ever worked for. And there were maybe 300 people when I was there. Okay. But it was still a very entrepreneurial everyone there right whether it was the Uh, product manager for bags or gloves like people could really charge hard and push and you could probably throw out some pretty crazy ideas and the organization was open to it cool um so i mean intend to have the power of that bigger organization behind you is pretty cool the first summer i went out to mount hood i went out to manage the burton team house and that also meant like the relationships with the snowboard camps that operate out there. It was just two of us running it and it, it just was overwhelming. It was, you know, it just never ended. Like from yeah. the moment I woke up till end of day, there was like kids showing up, needed binding strap, whatever. But I went back to Burton and I was like, you know, other companies have demo centers out there. And I basically put a business plan together and Burton let me chase it. And I at least, a building that became the Burton Demo Center for a bunch of years. I went back with a crew of five the next year instead of two. Mm. And that was, you know, that was Burton backing what I laid out. Um, Cool. So that was a little bit of the Burton experience. And, but, you know, Jake also created this culture. I mean, he was so passionate about the product, the sport. In fact, his name was on things that you would see him come in and, and, you know, talk to a, like binding product manager and say, I was just out riding and this just didn't work right or whatever. Like, so we were being led by someone who cared and yeah, you know, it, it showed that kind of, uh, it was really in the leadership. business. You didn't have yeah. like some large dollar donor who didn't know anything about snowboarding, but heard it's the next big thing saying, do yeah. this. You had somebody who was quite literally on the slopes using the gear himself to say, Hey, we need to we need to change this exactly and when i went to airwalk <clears throat> it was interesting because they were such a small company the brand was pretty 
tainted and not in a good place at that time. They had been through some pretty rough times. They had new ownership group. And so when I went there to interview, I was kind of like, wow, this feels so different than Burton. There's mm. not as many people. We don't have this crazy prototype lab. We're not building the boards on the other side of the wall. Like, how is this going to be? Like, and yeah. in the back of my head, all I could think about is like, now I got to kind of compete against Burton a little bit. I said yes to this job. And, sure. um, but what, what Airwalk taught me was there were about six of us that were 100% focused on snow as the category um yeah because you know the company was a lot bigger from the skate and shoe side of things but what it taught me was man surrounded by five amazing people with the passion and the drive and just the willingness we can do some really good stuff and we can go up against a company true like burton or k2 in a small way the other cool thing with airwalk was there there were so few of us that they're really the guardrails were almost non-existent. We did some crazy stuff and I pushed a few things a little bit too far without even getting approval uh-huh. and kind of, we had some sit downs about some of that <laughs> stuff, but, but we could do that. It was like, it was a big step closer to running my own business. And from Airwalk, I went to freelance and then eventually started this company. So I, it was like a lot of steps from working from the man to, yeah. Yeah, to not like, working for the man. Sounds like it kind of eased you in, right? Like you came, you're an employee, then you go to something that's okay, which, you know, provide you some freedom and empowerment, but then you go to something else that's maybe a little more uh, free moving, and then you start your own thing. What are two or three things that you took from those people who you used to work with, or let me say work for, and you're employing these as your employing other people Mm. well my business partner frank and i we you know it was a little it was about a year ago that um jake burton passed away and frank and i went back to vermont we went to that the memorial at stowe and to to see the couple thousand people that came together and the stories that were shared and i felt like everyone i bumped into had some sort of personal story on how jake changed their life or their path in life um so we like saw this and just felt this like what this one person can do right legacy legacy and just multiplication of jake through other people right but i think it wasn't until we got back from that that we like it really hit us just how much of the culture and the way that um working at burton together has transpired into um okay my dog just jumped on the desk Good boy um, yeah. <laughs> you get a arabetic dog and this is what happens um come sorry about that no um so it, i think it really hit us just how much that sort of non-tangible cultural experience has translated into how we operate today yeah so I, so i think that's one um i think airwalk taught me a lot about no matter what you're trying to do if you have investors who are really holding the purse strings mm-hmm. that um at the time i was young and i didn't fully get it and i was more just like hey we're trying to do good stuff here we've got a good snowboard team the skate team's cranking like yeah like problem like why is this gonna shut down or go away or what's the challenge here 
um, as you get further in life, you're like, oh yeah, I guess if I was one of those people that had put money in <laughs> and then someone's asking me to put more money in, yeah, I probably wouldn't have put my own money into that. Right. <laughs> so I, I, like, I think those are two of the big, two big takeaways I got is, um, I understand that better now when we have to make a decision on a new piece of gear or hiring someone or whatever that is that, sure. uh, when it's your money at the end of the day, you think about things a little different than just trying to manage a budget or something. Yeah. That makes it a big difference when you have skin in the game. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the, you know, these are things that you learned from somebody you were mentored, you could say, I understand that, um, you know, you really value mentorship, passing your knowledge down to other people. And I understand you work with a mentor as well. Talk a little bit about um, both of those dynamics, both being a mentor to younger people, but also, you know, having a mentor yourself or having a coach. I've worked with a coach and uh, I could not have asked for a better experience. My, my, entire mindset changed compared to where I was a year ago. It's helped me. It's, it's even hard to put into words um, what mm-hmm. a benefit it's been. And I've looked into, you know, coaching myself. I love pouring into young people myself. What has that experience been for you and b- both sides? Mm, I sum all this up. I mean, the amount of people that have taken time out of... Oh, shit. This dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> I should have known better. Um you know, the, when you think about the people that have taken time out of their lives to help me along the way, um, it really matters to me. And I do want to pass that on. I also know it's not that anytime you, you share your time with someone else, something comes back out of it too. Yeah, so it's, true. um, there's that side to it. Um, trying to think i mean one of my biggest rules too is if someone if someone reaches out to me for a referral or recommendation or a good friend has lost a job and they're trying to figure out their next move i always try to treat those moments as like i try to drop anything else because Hmm. if you've been there if you've lost a job and you're trying to figure out what's next like i've been through that a couple times and it sucks and you just want to know that there's some people that kind of got your back and are helping you out. Right. And yeah. And I also, you, um, when you ask someone for help in one of those times and it doesn't come through, you also don't forget that. Right. Where you're like, Hey, I know you're busy, but you also have a, a thriving job right now. And I'm <laughs> in a really tough place and I wish yeah. you could have taken five minutes out of your day. Right. Mm. So I, I really try to think about, all of that stuff. I also think it's an amazing thing when you help someone to get a good job, they're not going to forget it. And hopefully, you know, it comes back around in a cool way at some point. Um, and so there's all, there's all that. Um, I joined an organization called EO about eight years ago. It's entrepreneurial entrepreneurs organization, global organization, all business owners, about 16,000 people around the world and about 140 in our Colorado chapter. And um, so much of that organization is based around shared learning, shared experience, helping each other. And Mm -hmm. uh, so that organization is somewhat of a form of mentor, mentee, and supporting each other. It's really opened my mind so much more to the fact that when you share and you're vulnerable and you explain the challenges you're going on and that you have people that are very connected to you know you well 
that they'll often see blind spots and point things out yes. that you didn't see yourself. Right. And and that you have a support system there for when things aren't going well and yeah. they help you get through it. So I've tried to take some of that and try to share it with um with some younger people. One of the, one of the kids that I've kind of mentored for years is a son of someone in my business group and we've actually talked about doing that a bit more like trying to formally help each other's kids out. And so, you know, this, this one guy, I mean, he's not a kid anymore, but I started meeting with him when he was in high school, trying to figure out what his next move with college was going to be. He mentioned Red Bull. I helped connect him with the Red Bull people. He ended up landing a job as a student brand ambassador for Colorado state university. Nice. Um, And now he's gone on to start his own business. And, and I've gotten so much out of just, getting to watch him and have these conversations with him and and talk to him about the decisions he's going through and what's really cool now i think he's 24 i keep connecting my kids with him and just recently we linked up with him in new york city and i got to like just sit there and listen to my 16 year old daughter have a conversation with him and you just feel it passing passing again right it's just this beautiful thing of people helping each other out yeah i think it's just incredibly fulfilling when your life is more about just yourself and yeah the things come around like oh I helped you land a job and now you work for a company that could be a client of mine or or something like that but I think even greater than that just super cool to say wow I've learned this thing or I know this thing or I know these people and I can help you either get this job or land this contract or learn this new thing um, it's almost more fulfilling than, you know, even when you yourself, you know, get that contract or land that job. And, um, you know, I think it, the more that we have this attitude, you know, when everybody does it, it works, right? <laughs> when um, when not everybody does it, it doesn't work. In fact, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's an agency owner as well, and he shared this uh, report with me and it was somebody did a long-term study and it was who's more successful over time people who are givers or people who are takers and so you know you might have guess uh, which side but the truth is it's the givers but it's only the givers if the people around them aren't takers mm-hmm. if they're givers as well and that really opened my eyes because I try my best to be a giver imperfectly of course but it, it made me think beyond just how I act who I'm interacting with that if I'm messing with some people who aren't going to give it back I'm wasting my time and so that 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 was just a a really kind of eye-opening moment for me have you had that experience as far as you know stuff coming back and stuff not coming back I don't I almost don't want to step on anything you just said because it was (laughs) so great um I I think so uh I was going to digress in a different direction, but I won't. But um, no, for me, I mean, one of my you know be- good, good friends, also a former Red Bull guy, and I worked with him at um, Airwalk, but um, we've, gone, we've done work together now for like 20 years, and he helped to open the doors for us into doing work with Red Bull. And at some point, another friend of mine, you know, said something to me, and they didn't, they didn't mean it harmful or anything like that, but they just sort of said like, man, I hope you're like, you know, really buying him a sick Christmas present every year or something like that. And Mm -hmm. 
and for me I, I was like it's not that's not what the relationship is like he trusts us to send a project our way yeah. but if anything his expectations of us are way higher and sure. our like what we feel we need to deliver is at a way higher level because he's such a long-term friend and a good client or whatever. So mm. there's no nepotism. It's just total respect and trust for each other and to work your ass off for the other person and right. to know if you call them, they're going to call you back. And if they say yes, they're going to do a great job. And so I think that's where like what you're saying, the difference between givers and takers is you really feel that over time. Mm. And where I was going to digress is saying, I, I think we're, we were fortunate and I'm just going to guess, at, you know, skateboard industry. I worked in it a bit over different things, but not to the level you did. Snowboarding was always my thing, but they're interesting. It's not even just a sport, right? It's a total it's a form of life. It's a lifestyle. It's a job, a sport, everything. But when you, when you do those sports, it's an individual sport that often takes a crew right yes. so you get to do your own thing but you know most people aren't just going out and just having a skate session on their own they're with a buddy or friends that are pushing each other you got another buddy that's a filmer and right. another buddy that write a magazine for an article so it's this like really cool individualistic endeavor that takes a crew and yeah i i think that the snowboard industry there, there's that part there's the budgets are shit the creative expectations and execution of marketing is off the charts uh -huh. the consumer is so outspoken and <laughs> right like of course i feel like it's yeah it's like it's like navy seals buds training right is to like work <laughs> in a skate or snowboard or uh, any of those kind of motocross i'm sure is similar to like yeah so then when you go and work, do work for a telecom company or something, you're like, oh, good point. yeah, don't tell me this is how difficult it is. Like your budget's big. Your consumer's like, you know, wants to know whether they're paying $19.99 a month or $29.99 <laughs> a month, right? Like, so I think we were really lucky that we, we came up through these industries, sports, cultures, lifestyles that honed, like honed that network and how we, how we see life. Absolutely. In fact, you know, what helped my kind of expertise is understanding the, the esports audience, uh, how to engage them effectively. Uh, it's very specific and it's nuanced. And the, the, the whole reason I understand the esports community and how to uh, engage them in meaningful ways is because I come from a more extreme community of skepticism in <laughs> skateboarding. The, the, the big thing that all these non-endemic, you know, big brands are trying to figure out is how do I get these this group of people who's very skeptical of brands in their space to accept me? And if you think engaging gamers is tough, try to reach some skateboarders, you know? And it's super cool for me personally just to be like, wow, I never thought that this thing that I just have enjoyed more than anything in life and spend most of my time thinking about and as much time as my body can take doing would set me up for success in business. And there's really something there that you hit on that when you've experienced a more extreme environment or more extreme sentiment community, the rest of life is easy because mm -hmm. compared to what you know. Yeah. And I think skate 
Trump's snowboard. I think skate's one of the toughest places to play, right? Yeah, they, I, I always say this is that uh, in gaming, the gaming or esports versus skateboarding is the desire to go mainstream. Mm-hmm. Gamers have a desire to be validated by the mainstream because they have not been validated greatly through their experiences. And they want people to say, yes, what we do is a sport. Yes, you belong. Yes, you can be on a team, etc. cetera. Uh, in fact, I had a friend who's a pro gamer, a pro Fortnite player. And he's. I asked him one time, I said, uh, I see Chipotle coming into this space. What do you think of that, <laughs> about that? And he was like, dude, that's so cool. I've eaten at Chipotle my whole life and I love it. And now they want to be part of what I'm doing. And if you're a skateboarder, the vibe is more, you're not skater owned and operated. Get the hell out of here. What are you doing? You know? Mm -hmm. And it's because skateboarders don't want to be accepted. We are doing our own thing over here and leave us alone. And we don't want to be in the Olympics, even though we are now. Um, (laughs) It's quite a dynamic. Life takes us in crazy places. For sure. Well, as we wrap this up, I feel like I could talk to you forever, and I feel like I have a million more questions for you. But as we wrap this up on the hour, um, how can we get people to follow the public works, you yourself, and anything else that you're doing to continue uh, following your journey? The public works. Not to be confused with some company in the Midwest who copied our name and I had words with them, but whatever. Uh, TPW.media is our main media landing page or the publicworks.biz. <clears throat> My Instagram is art, I'm sorry, at artsm, A-R-Z-T-M. Publicworks is uh, just the publicworks on Instagram. We love communicating with people. Um, LinkedIn is a good place for me to engage more on the one in one, one-on-one like business type conversation, but I mean, I'm always for keeping these, keeping these conversations going. And if, if there's someone earlier on in their career path or someone who's maybe doing something that they don't think's the right fit, I, I always try to have those conversations. And so I'm not saying I have the answers, but it's fun having those conversations. Uh, our building battery 621 is right in Denver. Come on by, have some coffee or beer or whatever. And that's a uh, battery 621 on social. It's a, it's a really fun place. We constantly have events, parties, and just come on by. If you just need a place to drop in and do some email, the door is unlocked. Perfect. It's a good reason to go to Denver. There's a lot of good reasons to go to Denver, and we'll, we'll add that to the list. Well, thank you so much, my friend, Mike. Uh, it's been great talking to you. I think our audience benefited a lot uh, from hearing all of your experiences and your insights. Appreciate you joining me on the DLC Drop podcast. Yeah, thanks for sharing your time, and I look forward to having a bunch more conversations with you. Definitely. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.